Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. So, we've been preaching through the book of James um, in, Bos- uh, in Hartis as well. We're also on part seven. And um, it's been super cool um, to preach through this book and to be challenged by it. And uh, at Nick preached last week. And we're going to preach in the next few weeks coming up on it, being doers of the word. Being doers of the word. And uh, it comes from a few passages in James. But the one is from James chapter 1 verse 22. And it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And we're called as Christians to do what God's word says we should do. We can't be Christians. We can't be true followers of Christ if we don't apply the word of God in our lives. If we don't live according to it. Um, we're not really then the followers of Christ that he's called us to be. So I always say it's a challenge, but it's a privilege for us to be able to do the word of God and apply it in our lives. Um, I want to share a testimony this morning because it ties into just being the doers of God's word. And uh, man, we, were, we had marriage retreat last weekend there at Hartis, And uh, we had 12 or 13 couples come and join us for the marriage retreat. And it was awesome, but it was a busy week end as well, the whole week to the weekend, and we were exhausted by the time Saturday evening came. We were finished, and we were already planning our Sunday afternoon nap after church. Uh, (laughs) Sam and I were already saying, we can't wait to put the kids down after church on Sunday and just sleep. We are exhausted, and so anyway, we went to church, and we had our service there, which was awesome, and after the service, a family comes up to us and says, listen, um, our father is on a married couple in their 40s come up and say, listen, our father's on his, looks like his deathbed. Won't you come and pray while the family is there and come and just pray with us? So we said, okay, no problem, you know, where and what time? And uh, she says to us, listen, today, this afternoon, in uh, Krugersdorp, Leratong Hospital. Now, from Hartis to Krugersdorp's a little bit of a drive deep inside. And with all the enthusiasm and the passion within us, we said, absolutely, we'll be there. Um, even though we were hammered and exhausted, you know. When I say hammered, I mean exhausted, not <laughs> anything else. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so we, we went off there to the hospital. And uh, the man's name is Jack. And he was lying there. And um, he's diabetic. And he's got renal failure. So his kidneys are, are failing completely. They... Um, on the way there, the family called us saying, listen, you, we know you're on your way, but they've tried everything, and they said we must come say our goodbyes, so we don't know what it's going to be like when you get here. And so they injected him with um, adrenaline and certain things over the week to try and get his body to respond in any way, and it just wouldn't. And he was unconscious with a mask on his face and giving him um, 55% oxygen, and uh, he was basically, he was completely unresponsive. And we got there, and they told us that it started with about, from about five or six days before that. He had a heart attack and was put into hospital, and then he's got all this kidney failure and so on. And um, then while he was in hospital, he had another, they say, other heart attack or a stroke. And so that's what's put him in the condition that he's in. And so we went there, and it was terrible. I mean, it's never nice to see people suffering in that condition, you know. And so we stand there with a family of 10 to 15 people around, and we pray. Not all of them are believers, but we pray for God's presence and His peace to be there in this time. And it was so beautiful to experience that. And the family said afterwards that they could feel the presence of God there. And then we asked um, for some of the family um, to leave 
and we just stay there with the two that we know are believers, and we begin to pray over his body, um, and I also pray a salvation prayer into his ear because he was non-responsive, and I thought, Lord, if he's calling out, apparently he was saved, um, or they, they think he, he may be saved, so they just said, please just pray with him anyway, so I prayed with him, no response, obviously, and his head and his, his eyes rolled back, mouth open, oxygen on, and uh, we finished praying, and then I began to pray healing over his body for a miracle. And when we got there, this is the facts. When we got there, his blood pressure and everything had dropped significantly. And they said, listen, it's a matter of time, moments before he passes away. His heartbeat was at 141 beats per minute, which is extremely fast. His blood pressure was, at, uh, was 64 over 45. Um, and was dropping since that morning, the whole time, just plummeting, plummeting. And he was on 55% oxygen. But immediately after we had prayed, and we stood there with the family after they came back in, within the next half an hour, his blood pressure raised up to 105 over 56. His heartbeat went, up, uh, went to 88 beats per minute. And he lay there, and we received a message the next day saying, and a picture that he was sitting up in his bed drinking out of a straw, and he was <laughs> awake. So we just praise God. Woo! It was lekker. And um, it was so amazing because you think like, and, and then something smaller shared, which has some kind of significance, is a few days later, um, as he was speaking to the family, he just said, why, have you guys, why did you guys leave me, he says to his family. Um, this is what his daughter's telling me, and his daughter's saying, he thought we all left him, and had neglected him, but he remembered one person and he could see someone with dark hair and he said, where's that guy that had dark hair that was standing beside my bed and praying for me? And uh, yet his family had abandoned him apparently, he, so he said. But God's done an amazing thing and he's coming out of hospital, looks like tomorrow, they said. Um, and just phenomenal. So, woo! We praise you, Lord. God's good. So... Yeah, absolutely grateful to the Lord. And that's just, you know what, that's just obedience of doing God's word. That's all we're called to do, is to go out, do the part that we've been called to do, and God will do the rest. We just be obedient to his word. And so I want to pull out this morning from James chapter 1, verse 22, and verse 27, just a few things there. And I want to emphasize just doing the word of God, but then also in verse 27 it says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I want to emphasize the last part of this verse actually this morning um, because the time we're living in is scary and we are being so polluted by the world around us, by sin, by wickedness around us and it's infiltrating into the body of Christ. And we begin as the body of Christ often then to dilute God's word. And James says here in this scripture in verse 27, he says, pure and faultless religion, which is acceptable to God, is this, that you would keep yourself from being polluted by this world. That's James's challenge to us. And that's the challenge I want to put across us strongly this morning, is that you and I have got to keep ourselves from being polluted by this world and by the the, the sin and the wickedness around us. We're living in a time where we see more than ever probably that 
we are surrounded by evil, by wickedness, by terrible sin and influence from our society, from culture around us, dragging us, trying to drag us into its standards of living, pulling us away from the Word of God. And it's disgusting, basically, the, the moral filth that's out there and that's also infiltrating the body of Christ is destroying so many people's lives out in the world and it's actually beginning to destroy um, people within the church. James said in verse 21 of that chapter, he says there, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God that is planted in, in you that can save you. And that's the struggle. I look at the world now and I go, wow, it is in a terrible state. Um, how society, how government, how everyone is pushing abortions and how more and more people are starting to think that it's okay to have abortions and it's not taking life. And now we can't smack our children. Um, I don't know if you saw a clip about a, a, a guy saying, we're not allowed to smack our children, so I'll take him over. You know, it says, we're not allowed to smack our children at home, so I'll take my child over to my neighbor's house and I'll smack him there. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know what, I'll give my kids to my, my parents or my in-laws and they can smack them. But I'm going to still smack my children. And I'll get into trouble for saying that, but that's okay. But, you know, the sexual immorality around, all kinds of sin. Um, the acceptance of homosexual marriages, the acceptance of any kind of sin. Sin is sin. And um, this world that we're in is so polluted that it's busy destroying and polluting the pure word of God that we feed ourselves with. And James says we've got to watch out and get rid of it. And if you look at all the end time scriptures, if we can call it that, all the scriptures in the end times speak about how many will fall away from their faith, how many people will fall away from Christ in the end times because of compromise of the word of God and because of being persecuted for their faith. And I want to read from Matthew 24 this morning because it ties so well into this passage. If you can turn there quickly with me. Matthew 24, and we're going to read from quite a large portion of Scripture there, from, 20, uh, from verse 1 all the way through until verse 14. This is what it says there. I'm going to only put a few Scriptures on the board a little bit later from verse 9 onwards. But here's Matthew 24, and it says this. Jesus said, or Jesus left the temple, and he was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth that not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the, the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. And if you look at, it, look at it now in the body of Christ, there's a lot going on that's trying to deceive us from the pure word of God, trying to pull Christians away from the pure word of God. For many will come, Jesus says, in my name, claiming that I am the Christ and will, will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and the kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9 says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. 
and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Verse 11 says, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel, verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I find it so scary that the Bible speaks in this way, that it says there from um, the beginning there, it says that many will fall away. Verse 9 says that at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray each other. That's a scary thought, a scary verse to read, that many will be deceived. Verse 12 is something that shocks me though and, so, and kind of gets me going. Verse 12 says, because of the increase, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most. The Bible doesn't say, that's what's scary. The Bible doesn't say the love of some. It actually says the love of most will grow cold. And I think, wow, Lord, may you grip this heart of mine and keep me so close to you. Because the warning is, is that as it says here, because of the increase of wickedness, because of the increase of sin, because of the increase of compromise, the love of most will grow cold. That's what I want to stretch this morning. And I want to say this morning is as as compromise increases, love grows cold. That's what the Bible says there. As soon as any kind of compromise, wickedness as sin, is within our lives and increases, then love grows cold. And I often find that people are saying, but you know, there's so many lukewarm Christians around, and why am I struggling so much? And I think often it's because we as believers entertain so much sin in our lives. And the minute we entertain so much sin, it's impossible, according to the word of God, as wickedness increases, it's impossible for our love for God and our passion to increase as well. It has to grow cold. And that's a warning sign, an obvious warning sign for the body of Christ as a whole, is that we have got to, we have got to purify our lives and be, live holy and righteous before God. We have got to stick to the word of God and hold firm until the end and only then will our love continue to get um, heat up and the passion within us to be burning for Christ. So as compromise increases in our life, love grows cold. I think it's so easy for us to look into this world nowadays and to see the obvious sin in this world and to complain and to get worried about that stuff. We look at the obvious sin like abortion, same-sex marriages, and it's influencing even the body of Christ. It's influencing many Christians to take a middle-of-the-road stance where we are scared to confront sin, and so we take a middle-of-the-road stance and we don't confront sin for what it is. And so we look at this big kind of, these big sins, that are influencing the body of the Christ. How many Christians, how many pastors from the past are now preaching a completely different message that's watered down and how the world has just diluted the word of God and, and perverted the word of God. And um, I think it's easy for us to point out that obvious sin. But I think what needs to happen in our lives is for each and every one of us to look to the Lord and say, God, deal with all the small stuff in my life. There's small stuff like little white lies that we tell that's also sin that we should deal with harshly in our lives. I don't know when last, maybe you did it BC, hopefully, but when you 
were running late for an appointment or you forgot an appointment completely and, you pho- and Johnny phones and you see this call on your phone and you go, oh, goodness. And you answer, hi, Johnny, sorry, man. And you whip out a little thing saying, my tire on my car just burst or, you know, and you, use, you make up some excuse or you say, my child is sick and, uh, you know, I'm going to be there in 20 minutes. I'm leaving now. Little white lies like that, gossiping, lying, um, many different things, complaining, letting any unwholesome talk come from our mouths, or giving into anger, as we preached about a few weeks ago. Even that, the Bible says, James says strongly, if we give into anger, anger, human anger, or man's anger, cannot and does not produce the righteousness of God that he desires to be produced in our life. And so any kind of sin is, has to be dealt with harshly in our lives. And we have got to confront it with truth. This is the scary thing. And here's a, a quote I want to mention this morning from John Blanchard. and says, we must never settle for harmony at the expense of holiness, nor for peace at the expense of principle. And that's often what happens nowadays is that there are Christians, the body of Christ out there, that are wanting to have harmonious peaceful relationships with others so that the, so in that they don't confront confront sin and they excuse it you know I, i'm not going to say anything when it comes to this because you know they're just going to get upset with me or i'm going to hurt them or i'm going to harm them or i'm going to cause a stir so i'd rather not say anything and we take the middle of the ground kind of road or stance and if you think about it isn't the middle of the road where most accidents happen the middle of the road is where most accidents happen, and it's the same in our faith, is when we begin to take that dangerous stance of diluting the word of God and not holding strong to it, that's when the church and the world continues to get polluted by sin and so on around us. And so I encourage us this morning is that we cannot afford to water down the pure word of God in our lives. We have to hold it strongly in our lives and apply it to our lives and not compromise when it comes to his word. This is what 1 Timothy chapter 4 says. Um, You want to turn there in your Bibles? You're welcome to. We're going to read a couple of verses out of there quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is what it says there from verse 1 to 3, and then I'm going to read 6 to 8 and just 11 to pick out a few. And it says, The Spirit clearly says, that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. And it goes on to a few other things. Verse 6 says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus nourished on the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Verse 7 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And the the challenge for us as believers is to consistently train ourselves to be godly. It's like physical training. You don't train once a month and stay fit. You have to consistently do it. And the call for us from the book of James here is that you and I and the book of Timothy is that we would train ourselves consistently in a way that we would become more and more godly and get rid of all the moral filth that's so prevalent in this world trying to pollute our pure Christian faith and the word of God. Verse 11 of that 
passage says, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. Um, that's the call for us as Christians, for you and I to command and teach these things. And as we do, yes, we do it in love. We do it in love and gentleness, but we speak it straight in truth. I look to the first scripture there, the first verse there in, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it says, Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits taught by demons. And the way that happens is we listen to men, we listen to women, we listen to government, we listen to culture around us saying, this is not really sin. And isn't that so true in this world today, is that we see so much of this surrounding society polluting and pulling Christians even away from the pure word of God. Because they try and compromise saying this is not really sin if you look at it like this and you know what the worst part is is that culture begins to try and twist the word of God or interpret the word of God according to the culture that we live in or the society that we live in and it shouldn't be that way we've got to come back to the word of God and interpret and put into context culture and society according to the high standards of God's word and hold that strongly Verse 1 says that many will lose their faith or leave their faith. And in Matthew chapter 24, when I read there, it also says, Jesus says that nation will rise up against nation and many will hate you because of me. And if you think about it and you look at it, look at it today, as soon as Christians stand up for the pure word of God and we stand up against sin and we speak out against sin, whatever it is in our lives or in people's lives, we're straight away called judgmental. We straight away are called unloving. And quickly we persecuted. And quickly we are either sued or put into prison or something or fired from our jobs. And I want to encourage you strongly that we cannot allow that to scare us from preaching the truth of God's word. Because it's a comforting thing that Jesus has already prepared us saying, in these end times, many will hate you because of me. He said it. Many will hate you because you'll stand up for the truth, because you'll preach the truth. And I look at many pastors and preachers around the world and just Christians in general getting sued and getting slandered and being hated by the world because they're standing up for the truth. And I ask that we would take courage continuously to stand up and preach the truth, to share the truth. Love, all with love, always. I've walked a journey from when I was the youth pastor here with three or four young men, teenagers between 15 and 18 years old who were homosexual, in homosexual relationships. And I always said, I can love you with a godly love way more than any other man will love you. And I would love them with such great compassion, but obviously speak the truth. And they walked a journey with me because they felt love, but they understood their sin was wrong. And it's so important. And yes, we are going to be called, called judgmental. We are going to be torn apart and ripped apart. But it is so important for us not to dilute the word of God and allow, as James says, the word and our hearts to be polluted by what's out there. And that's the scary thing that's happening nowadays. When we fall away from the pure word of God, we fall away from God himself. And I want to say that again, and I want to explain that a little bit because it's a strong statement. But the Bible, the Word of God, is God's nature. It's God's character. It's, God's not, it's not just rules. 
It's who God is. It's his holiness. It's his love. From old to new, it's who God is. Put down on the word. Put down in the, in the Bible. And it's exactly who God is. And the minute you and I start to compromise any area in our life, then we compromise in sin and we walk away and we don't treat it harshly with the word of God and we walk away from it, kind of just treating it as if it's nothing in our lives. The minute we do that and we walk away from the pure word of God, we literally start walking away from God himself. And so there's a call, an urgent call from James here and from Timothy. You cannot allow in these difficult end times Allow the word to be polluted and diluted in your lives. Jesus says it strongly there to them. The easiest thing though to do as Christians, the easiest thing to do is to walk the way of least resistance. That's the easiest thing for us to do. Do you know how many people we've heard over the last few months saying how many Christians we hear and we're in conversation with saying, I won't talk to my friends about that. I won't say that this is wrong because they're going to say I'm judgmental and it's going to destroy our relationship. I'd rather just be loving and not tell them that this is wrong. And you know how many people do that nowadays and it's really sad because if we don't direct each other, help each other by giving each other the pure highest form of God's word and his standards, we actually, by perverting his word, we allow people to wander off and ultimately have their eternal destiny in hell. I would rather offend somebody, and not purposely, I'll love them and preach the truth and comfort them and help them through a journey of sin and repentance than allow them to, or or for me to make excuses saying, I don't want to offend somebody or hurt them and leave them and ultimately let them go astray and never find the truth of Christ and never come to experience a life with Christ in heaven. I'd rather preach the truth than be called whatever, labeled something, and be persecuted and hated by people than compromise preaching the truth. And that's the standard that we all as Christians hold to nowadays in these, these pressing times that we face. I often think and say we desperately want to see a revival take place. We desperately want to see revivals take place here in South Africa, here in our communities. The pressing issue for me is always, revival always first starts in the heart of the Christians. Look at the book of Jonah, look at all the Old Testament stories. Only when the people came, sat before God and repented and cried out over their sin and came back to the pure word of God, only when they came back to obedience with God did revivals ever take place. And so the first thing is, Lord, purify my heart. Purify my life, Father God, and may I take your word as the truth and never compromise it in my life. And I know that in these end times, this world we live in is super evil. There's so much wickedness around. There's so much sin around. And this world is in a a terrible state probably worse than ever before. The reality is that as people lose their confidence in the things of the world, as they get stuff stripped away from them, as they lose their jobs, as they lose any kind of security, senses or feelings of security in their lives, they're going to turn to something. They're going to turn to God. 
They're going to turn to the body of Christ. And the reality is, and the strong thing we need in our lives, is that we will be able to lead them purely to a right relationship with Christ and lead them to the Word of God, the pure form of Word, uh, word of God and not some diluted form of Christianity. At the end times now, we see things are terrible. We're in a terrible state. The Bible speaks about in Matthew 24 that things may get worse, may get far worse. And so he warns us, Jesus, that in those times when things are pressing against us and when circumstances are really harsh, many will fall away. Why will many fall away? Because they allowed wickedness and sin and compromise in their walks with God. That's what the Bible says. The increase of wickedness will make the love of most grow cold. So I challenge you this morning, and I ask you to challenge your friends, your Christian friends and family, to live strongly according to the Word of God, pure form, the pure Word of God, and apply it to their lives. And the Bible always promises, promises and I want to come to a conclusion here, the Bible always promises that wherever there's obedience to the Word of God, there's always blessing. Wherever there's absolute obedience to the Word of God, there's always some kind of blessing that God gives. He promises in many scriptures that as we are obedient to God from the Old Testament to the New, as we're obedient to God and as we follow God and follow His commands, that He'll give salvation to our lives and salvation to friends and family around us. That's the blessing of being obedient to His Word. When there's obedience to His Word, there's protection. There's protection over our lives. When there's obedience to God's Word, there's also material blessing. Um, and that's a fact from God's word. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but the Bible is and talks a lot about prosperity. And wherever there's obedience, choosing God, God always promises financial blessing. Now, I'm not saying financial exuberance or everyone being rich, but he always promises to meet our needs. And he always promises to bless us in different ways, which is awesome. Wherever we are obedient to God, there's supernatural favor over our lives. Supernatural favor over our lives. And Jesus says in Luke 11 verse 28, blessed are those, or blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed are those. You'll be blessed. You and I will be blessed if we continue to live according to God's word and obey it. So we get to choose a blessed life. We get to choose a blessed life by being obedient to God's principles and not allowing compromise in our lives. So if I look back at just those first two verses and emphasize them again, James says, do what it says. Do what the word says. Later on he says, and keep, if you want a pure faith before God, a pure faultless faith that God the Father will look at you with eyes going, you have a pure faultless faith, do these kinds of things and also keep yourself, protect yourself from being polluted by this world, by all the wickedness and the sin around us.